0: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: The following program contains topics particular to the LGBTQ community. Some discussions may contain mature themes. As such, listener discretion is advised. I've heard. BPI presents Pride Connection Sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International Tuesdays at 10pm Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream Or wherever you get your podcasts Someday we'll find it The Rainbow Connection The lovers, the dreamers. And me.
0: Mm. Ooh. Welcome to this week's episode of Pride Connection. I'm your host for this week, Will Burley. And it's really great to be here with you. This is my very first episode that I'm hosting all by my little lonesome. Can I be honest? <laughs> I'm actually nervous. Can you believe it? I speak in front of people all the time, but it's not often I get to kind of speak to myself doing an episode of a podcast. So it's a little nerve-wracking. It's a little (laughs) off-putting. But I figure, hey, it's 2021. I made it through 2020. I got my first COVID vaccine shot. If I can do that, I can do anything. So what better time to just step out of my comfort zone and talk to you. I only hope that you're interested and you won't burn me at the stake too badly. (laughs) But we're going to plug through this together. And uh, I'm just appreciative of the fact that your regular hosts... Gabriel, Leah, and Anthony gave this opportunity for the many, many voices of BPI, or Blind LGBT Pride International, for those of you that are just learning about us, to share with you our experiences, our perspectives on what it's like to be at the intersection of being blind and visually impaired and part of the LGBTQIA plus community. You know, we're not a monolith. We're, we don't always think the same. Um, we have different thoughts on a myriad of different things. But in the end, we come together and make something very beautiful, I think. We like to have fun. We like to advocate for people. And so that's kind of the perspective that I'm going to be coming from. Um, As a lot of you already may know, that I've been a paralegal for about 21 years, and I currently work as an advocate uh, providing assistance for people who are disabled, and I address barriers to employment rights, voting rights, and accessibility, and housing, and transportation issues. So needless to say, the workday is never quite the same, which is very good for me, because um, I get bored easily. How about you? Um, and one of the things that I'm really excited about, and if you guys have heard me um be a guest on on this show along with Cheryl Cummings, I'm really interested in cultural humility work. Um, It started out as a committee that I got on at work, but with the murder of George Floyd, um, it really made me want to step up outside of that at work. I've always been an equality advocate, especially when it comes to issues surrounding LGBTQIA and people of color. But when last year, May 25th, happened, it really made me not want to sit quietly. Honestly, I felt a little bad at first because with COVID, I was a a little afraid to get out there and protest, and I really wanted to lend my voice to having marginalized people be able to really share and have those difficult conversations with people, to really be honest, to really be empathetic and to really be loving and to to really be heard on what was going on systemically here in America and I'm sure a lot of different places across the world. That was my way of lending my voice and trying to bring people together both on a local level and nationally. So when the opportunity arose for the the myriad of vo- voices to step up and host an episode or two of Pride Connection, I really kind of jumped at the chance so I could bring some of that perspective to you and hopefully my perspective will tickle something in your ear to cause you to have deeper conversations with those around you. It's not to say that we're always going to agree. That's not natural. (laughs) Uh, That you're always going to agree with people, even those you love. But it's time for us to get our hands Head out of the sand. And I've seen that over the past almost year. So what can you expect from this episode of Pride Connection? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. First of all, I'm going to share with you some of the simple steps that I took when I started my healing journey. Um, I had to overcome limiting beliefs. We all have them, whether we know it or not. We all have them. But I'm going to give you something. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm I'm just a person that wanted to make a change in my life. And it's worked for me through trial and error. And I want to share that with you. And so hopefully you can take something that I said or add to it and make some changes in your life if you feel like you need to to make some changes. And then later in the episode, I interviewed one of my colleagues at work, um, Dustin Reinders, who is the supervising attorney of the education team, and I was really excited because every week I'm seeing Dustin's team do something with intersectionality, whether it was transgender student issues or, you know, the LGBTQIA plus issues, along with disability and They were just doing so many good things, uh, especially even surrounding mental health barriers. Um, So you'll get to hear uh, an interview I did with Dustin, and I hope you really like it. And then I'm going to end um, by honoring one of my good friends that recently passed away. She wasn't a member of BPI. She, she wasn't a member of ACB or really any blindness uh, organization. But I didn't want to forget her. And I wanted to share with you why she was so important to me and honor her as she's moved on Outside of this existence, I hope you stick around. So, come on, let's get it. You know, at the start of 2020, the horrible year that was, <laughs> you know. 2020 was very scary when it came to COVID and presidential politics and the George Floyd murder. It just seems like 2020 was never going to end and it was only going to get worse (laughs) and worse. But in a strange way, 2020 ended up being a very successful year for me. That's not to say I wasn't scared and afraid and things like that. But when I started working from home full time and and self-quarantining and not being able to see friends or travel like I wanted to or go to the bar or different things like that, that weekend stuff, like going to the movies it really forced me and a lot of people to sit and and be with self for a long time. I'm kind of talking extra slow, slower than I usually speak, because uh, I want to make sure that I really say this right. And at the same time, I'm... I get a little emotional when I talk about it because a lot of times we have limiting beliefs, beliefs within ourselves that we don't recognize at the time. Um, for the prior three years or so, I had been on a healing journey uh, for myself and I had I just kept hitting this wall around the time that COVID was classified as a pandemic. And I couldn't figure out how I could keep growing and moving forward. I just couldn't figure it out. I knew I had limiting beliefs that I held, but it's one thing to recognize a limiting belief but but then it's something different to break through that limiting belief, if that makes any sense to you. And so I recognized my lim- limiting belief, which for me personally was, I had daddy issues. <laughs> I I had a belief that if my father, who had helped with my creation couldn't love me the way I needed to be loved as a son, then the people that I encountered on a romantic level couldn't love me the way I needed to be loved romantically. Um, Because if someone that helped bring me into the world couldn't show me that love... Then nobody else could and then I didn't realize that's what I was thinking at the time but throughout 2020 it's like a light bulb went off over my head and I was like oh this is this is that wall that I kept running into or you know when you're you're working to lose weight and at first you're losing all this weight and you're feeling good about yourself and then you hit that point when you you hit that plateau and it seems like you can't lose weight for anything no matter how much you work out no matter how well you eat it's just something that the body does maybe because it's not quite ready, or you need some time to to get things together. Well, that's how I was feeling when I hit my wall on getting uh, breaking through that wall with my limiting beliefs on on finding love and accepting love. And one thing I learned in 2020 into 2021 was that it was okay to not have the tools at the time for me to break through for whatever reason, maybe because it wasn't meant for me to break through at the time because I needed some time to sit and enjoy the successes that I had come to at the particular time um, and maybe it was meant for me to find the group that I that I found which was a gay men thriving six week virtual core energy boot camp say that three times fast <laughs> um, but I found this group of gay guys from all over the world there were about maybe 200 of us that took part in this Core Energy Boot Camp. You know, we were all dealing with different issues or wanting to address different things in our lives, but we were all gay men that were putting out positive healing inner energies not only for ourselves, but for those people that we came across. And there were people that identified as people with disabilities, whether it was autism or... I mean, it was all types of people, different languages spoken. It was just really awesome. And for me, I think one reason I didn't... I wasn't able to break through was because I was meant to find this group of people so I could hear that I wasn't alone or so I could be inspired, I'll say, to make a change when I saw other people making that change so I wouldn't feel alone with making a change for myself. And I'm telling you, if you can find a group, whether it's through uh, meetup.com, whether it's through your special interest affiliate, whether it's just through your your everyday friends, I encourage you to have conversations with them about limiting beliefs and to be open and honest with those that you can trust Uh, You know, we can't talk to everybody. Everybody's not on the same level. But I really encourage you to have those conversations with people that want to see you succeed and that will tell you when you're messing up and will celebrate with you when you're doing great. Because we all have limiting beliefs. We all, at some point, or another, Don't have the tools to fix what we want to fix at a particular time. But if you really work or trust someone, I encourage you to have those conversations with them. So 2020 turned out to be a really successful year to help me with that simple step of just opening myself up not necessarily for love but to open up and listen to people and then that in turn is making me open myself up to love and it's really an awesome feeling so if you want to learn more about my journey and my thoughts on limiting beliefs how to get past them positive self-talk I really invite you to visit my blog it's libras-balance.blog libras-balance.blog and if you find something that really interests you or even if it's something you disagree with I invite you to subscribe and even post the comment. I would love to have the conversation with you, even beyond here on Pride Connection. And uh, I can't wait to have that conversation. Let's have it. Well, I'm really excited to be uh, doing this interview today. I've known this attorney for a number of years, but never had an opportunity to really get to know him. His name is Dustin Reinders. And how are you doing today, Dustin?
1: Oh, doing well. Thanks for having me, Will.
0: Good, good. Well, I was so excited to be able to talk to you because... Here lately for the past, I guess, year almost, we've been doing a lot of work together on cultural humility. So I wanted to talk about intersectionality and things like that. But first, I want to get people to know who Dustin is. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. So um. I'm an attorney who lives in Houston, Texas with uh, my husband and our adopted eight-year-old son, and uh, I've worked at Disability Rights Texas for the last 15 years, and um, in many ways it felt really natural for me to be in the disability rights movement because it's disabilities touched my life in a lot of different ways. And so as a young child, I had uh, a lot of hearing and and speech challenges. And so I had a series of five surgeries that kind of defined a large part of my youth and limited uh, what I could do in school in some ways. Also, I made it so that I ended up receiving special education services um, for speech and hearing issues. Throughout elementary school, And, um, and still had experiences there where it was kind of assumed I couldn't do things when it was really just um, an audio uh, challenge. And so during that period of time, I was kind of wrongfully placed in a more restrictive environment for a, a period, my mom had to make sure I got back into the regular classroom. And then Fast forward a number of years, and I supervise the education work of Disability Rights Texas, advocating um, for students who are mostly in special education, but also 504 uh, for for their rights.
0: Very good. And so I know um, here recently, within the past year, you began working on the cultural humility work group at work how has that been for you
1: you know it's been it's been fantastic um you know the things that i have come to believe really strongly is that our power is in our difference and so you know i'm a white guy and that is a part of who i am right and and understanding kind of Kind of my privilege, but I'm also queer and I'm also a person who had some lived disability experience as a young person. And those kind of define part of who I am too. And so um, getting to know the full stories of my like co workers and co conspirators in the justice movement has really been enjoyable to me and, you know, in it energizes me. And so I think so much of the work that I want the disability rights movement to do is that intersectionality work that the intersections on racial justice and pride and everything else.
0: It's been really awesome to get to work with you in this realm of things dealing with the intersectionality of disability and everything else about a person, because so many times it seems like everybody just wants to say, hey, we're only dealing with uh, the disability and there's nothing else, when it seems like everything else comes into play, right?
1: Everything else comes into play. You know, Bill, well, when I was starting out as a brand new lawyer, probably about the same time that that uh, you were first interviewing, interning in our Houston office, and we got to know each other, um, you know, I was active in gay politics in Houston, and I, you know, I was on the board of the kind of gay lawyer bar association in the Houston area, and then of course I was practicing education law at this disability rights group, and so I kept getting referrals for LGBT student issues. And of course, working where I did, the first kind of question would be, well, you know, do they also have a disability? And a lot of times the disability wasn't, quote unquote, the reason the person was calling. But when you got into it, very oftentimes there was some real confusion over, are these behavioral issues that we're seeing related to a mental health diagnosis or are they just related to the bullying the student is enduring for being transgender or, or, and, and, you know, the reality is there's not always a clear answer to that stuff, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. For some people it's different. And I wish even for program eligibility that the answers just didn't even matter. And we could just kind of work with everyone's need. But I had a lot of experiences both in serving uh, students and, and also in working with youth and foster care of those interesting intersections of, of disability and gender identity and sexuality and everything else.
0: That's so awesome. And I've been really intrigued by the work you've been uh, doing on the cultural humility team. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the work you've been doing behind the scenes?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in our agency, I think there's, you know, there's a group of us in many ways led by Will who are trying to just push our agency uh, to become kind of more justice informed and more intersectional in our work. And so I am trying to be as helpful as I can. I am these days a manager in the agency, which to some degrees uh, gives me some additional opportunities to to push ideas and causes and, you know, certainly just want to be an ally to everyone who wants to see the work uh, move forward. Um, so I personally have been involved in working with HR on kind of the employment side, looking at our hiring practices and our recruitment practices. I've also been working with a subgroup of, of people who want to make changes to our client-based services to just make sure that intersectionality is infused in our work, that our our workplace and our policies are um, embracing and of, of all the experiences that our staff bring to the table, including you know, staff who have trauma in their background and different things um, you know, might make their workplace feel uh, emotionally unsafe for them. So I've, I've uh, tried to partner in, in all of that work. And then had, I've, I'm someone who in other community work had had the opportunity to, to hear some really fantastic speakers and trainers on things like implicit bias, and so I've tried to bring uh, that to our agency. And so uh, Will and I partnered to, to get our agency to bring Dr. Bryant Marks uh, from Morehouse University to, to speak as a required uh, presentation for all of the people who work at Disability Rights Texas. And it was a phenomenal experience, I think, because he is, uh, if you haven't ever heard Dr. Marks speak, um, look up one of his YouTube videos and listen to him. He does a lot of implicit bias training all around the country and was doing that with my brother's keeper through the Obama administration has done it with large police forces. And I just promise that he'll, um, challenge you in ways you don't expect. And, uh, you come out a little better person at the end of the day, but of course, it's a, a continual, uh, struggle for all of us to, to face our biases and, uh, and continue to learn about people who are different than us. Can you talk about that level of excitement that a person
0: can get and then the difference between that and the amount of work it takes to get to that better place? Because I think a lot of people get frustrated, <laughs> I think is a good word to say. So can you talk about that push and pull of trying to get to the right sweet spot and the work that's involved with giving you know,
1: I think it can be easy for people when, um, when seeing how much needs to change. And that can be in any place, right? It can be in any workplace, in any society or system. Um, it can be overwhelming to know what to prioritize and where to start. And I think sometimes we've probably all been guilty of um, just finding comfort in a like-minded ally to, to complain with. Right. Uh, But I have always been more attracted to efforts that are kind of um, are kind of results focused and really looking at like, how do we put this shared passion into action and, and find things we can achieve. And so I think we've been really in the last, you know, nine months, especially, moving in that direction and cultural humility at Disability Rights Texas, which has been uh, really great to be a part of and to experience. And I also think it's a continual effort. You know, one of the things Dr. Mark says about his implicit bias trainings is that do-gooders, so like social workers or public interest lawyers can be some of the toughest people to train. And he talks about that's because they think they get it. They're already woke, right? They, you know, <laughs> tell them that implicit bias is real. They already agree. But like agreeing that something's a problem and committing yourself to be a part of the solution on, on the daily is very, very different. And so, um, you know, we have to try to put people around us who hold us accountable for not just participating like in an action or an activity at one point but continue to remain engaged in the work because the problem itself is not going anywhere. And we all have to be anti-racist every day, right? Mm -hmm. Well,
0: I I like how you brought up the word intersectionality earlier. And that seems to be like the buzzword. (laughs) And I'm finding that not a lot of people understand what that means. And I, I know your team is doing a lot of intersectional work especially as it relates to the disability realm and the LGBTQIA+ plus, um, realm. Can you give some examples of of kind of what your team is doing?
1: Yeah, I I would be happy to. And you know, Will, I think it's interesting when you say, do people know what it is? And one thing that's interesting about you interviewing a lawyer is that the term intersectionality was coined by a legal scholar, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, who is a law professor, I believe, at UCLA now that has also been at Columbia. And Professor Crenshaw is a, a feminist scholar and also a race theorist uh, as well, but she coined the term intersectionality to criticize the way that lawyers and laws very often target one aspect of a person's identity to protect them from discrimination. And that when, when that was done, for example, in the women's rights movement, it ended up excluding protections for, for black individuals, black women because, you know, a black woman would face discrimination and they'd say, well, we can't really prove that that is racial discrimination because it may be gender or we can't prove that it's gender because it may be race. And so, you know, Professor Crenshaw really, I think, challenged the legal establishment to deal with the fact that we all have multiple identities and that the law and civil rights organizations um, have to do a better job at embracing intersectional advocacy so that we can help The most impacted people, like real individuals with multiple identities. And so I thought that background might be a little helpful. You know, on our team, one of the ways that we try to be intersectional and the way we approach our education advocacy for students with disabilities is who we partner with. So it's really important to us that we partner with racial justice organizations and immigrant justice organizations, that we make our materials available in other languages, that we don't just make the same materials available in other languages, but that we develop materials that are specifically about the issues that a student with a disability who's also an English language learner um, would face. It's really important to us when we talk about school discipline to acknowledge that Black students with disabilities are impacted by exclusionary discipline and law enforcement referral at five times the rate. Of Even other students with disabilities. So, um, you know, when we think about who we hire to work on this work, when we think about um, the cases we accept, where we do our outreach, we want to center to the best of our ability and it's an ongoing, you know, we all need to improve on it. To the best of our ability, we need to center the people who are most impacted by the problem. And so about half of our team's work is on school discipline work, whether it's preventing law enforcement referral or stopping you know, other aspects of the school to prison pipeline, like exclusionary discipline, suspension, expulsion. That work really impacts Black people with disabilities more than anyone else. And so how do we partner with, with communities and you know, try to lend our support to efforts to change those patterns.
0: I like that. And dealing with, like you said earlier, that trauma um, that all of us deal with, how has your team uh, worked to keep its sanity while working on all of these issues uh, for students with disabilities?
1: You know, in our team traditionally, when we would get together and have meetings or trainings, it was very like lawyerly. It was taking turns, presenting PowerPoints on substantive topics in the law. And it was boring, quite frankly. And so one of the things that I've changed in recent years is really embracing the fact that our relationships with one another and knowing each other more deeply matters to our team culture and our organizational culture and the quality of the work. And one thing that I don't think anyone really needed was like one more PowerPoint presentation about special education law. But I think what we more deeply needed to understand about one another is why we do the work we do and what we need from our colleagues to to stay engaged and stay motivated and to not misunderstand each other or take offense to things that weren't intended. And um, so we've just really focused on relationship building, honestly, Will. Have you noticed that it's improved the work of the team since that change occurred? Yes, I made. So I went through a pretty transformational process for myself through this uh, leadership training. It was called American Leadership Forum. And I ended up repeating, you know, a lot of kind of what I learned or was inspired by through that with With my team, and took them out for a retreat, and got them in nature, and made people sit in a circle and not have computers in front of them, and uh, made them put their phones to the side, and and really just got people in conversation, and found ways to organize conversation where everyone is contributing more equally instead of it being a place where the people who like to talk, like myself. Uh, dominate the conversation.
0: Well, that's good. I'm so excited about all the work that I see your team doing. It's like every week, there's something new coming out from the education team, And it's really exciting. And I'm sure you, like everybody else with this past year, uh, with the pandemic, has gone through boredom, cabin fever, fear, and all the, the in between. What's 2020 been like for you, in in light of the pandemic?
1: You know, well, as you know, I'm an extrovert, and so being locked up is harder on us extroverts, right? And I'm I'm married to an introvert who won't say that he likes it this way, but you know, he doesn't miss the outside as much as I do. <laughs> And so I think to me, probably one of the most challenging things about it has been navigating everyone's different views on what permissible risk and behavior is during the mm-hmm. pandemic. And, you know, I'm in a gay men's book club. And one of the things that we talk about recently was the comparisons from some of the older members of our club to to the AIDS crisis in the 80s and, and that pandemic. And the same things about... You know what is acceptable or safe behavior, and what is high risk behavior, and we encourage people to make safe decisions. But is it okay to shame people who incur risk that you wouldn't personally choose to incur yourself? And there's so many kind of interesting conversations around that. You know, in work, I am most anxious to get back out into the communities and visit uh, more and more of uh, facilities with high risk youth that that may need advocacy. And so I got to spend last Friday at a residential treatment center for, um, you know, youth who are in a very restrictive setting. And it always motivates me to be around uh, youth themselves and uh, to hear from them about their experiences and their needs. And um, it was too many months of me not doing that. And I I am glad to be out there in the world doing that again.
0: Oh, it sounds like you're ready to get back into the office. How dare you?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm beyond ready, Will. I'm, I'm so sick of my house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, uh, you know, I think I am too, because I would consider myself an introvert, like, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't mind being in the house, but over this past year plus, I'm like, I want to get out there. I want to meet people. I want to do things. Uh, But I feel like I'm a hermit now. Um, So I'm like, I need to get back in the practice of learning how to interact with people in in light of, of the health crisis. So if you could pick three things that you've learned about yourself or your family or even work um, that's been really important to you over the past
1: year? What would those three things be? I think I've learned that I probably do need a little more balance and to slow down a little bit. I'm ready to get back out there, but after having a calmer stay-at-home life for a year, it's clear to me that how chaotic my life was before probably doesn't need to come back in in its entirety. You know, I would, I have been enjoying, I think another thing I've been enjoying long walks. So I stopped going to the little like high intensity gym thing I would usually go to uh, because of, you know, concern about COVID risk. And instead just started like, at first I, I tried just running in the neighborhood, but increasingly I found myself just like, especially on the weekends when I didn't need to be at work, just taking these like two hour, nice, relaxing walks and just being with myself and my thoughts and, you know, nature to some degree. And and I think that that's something that needs to stay for me uh, post pandemic, maybe do my high intensity exercising uh, a little less often and, and incorporate some just relaxation. I've also found myself becoming a little more intentional about what really matters, whether that's in my workday or otherwise. I've I've started bullet journaling. I like to try different fads, but I found that, you know, being one task at home and making sure my time is well spent, it just helps to really need, know what I need to accomplish each day. And um, I hope that intentionality is something that I that I keep from the pandemic as well.
0: Love that word being intentional. Um, that's something I was kind of working on before the pandemic started. And it it really has helped me, not only in work, but with the, with my personal life too, because we get so caught up in things, I think. Oh, I have to get this deadline met or I have this coming up and then we forget to take care of self. So are there any, I know you talked about taken it a little bit easier. Are there any things like meditation or anything like Pilates or yoga that you do that?
1: You know, I'll confess, well, I have tried to be regular at meditating or yoga many times in my life. And I always think I benefit from it and I never stick with it. So I am not a great role model in my meditation. I will say for me, the I'm doing a form of bullet journaling now that is not at all pretty or Pinterest worthy. Um, it's just functional, but some things that I'm enjoying about it that, that are more reflective is I I've incorporated a gratitude practice in it where I try every day to just like in my daily entry, add like one thing I'm grateful for with the challenge that I don't just repeat like my mama and my husband every day, right. That I, that I have something original that I come up with? And then I make a list at the back of the book of just, you know, each entry is something that you're grateful for. And I've, I found that to be just really like mood altering and to have that list that you can uh, refer back to. And so I've really enjoyed doing that. And, and then also not just listing out like chores or to do's in my bullet journal, but taking that time in the morning to just kind of reflect on what is most important in my day and what isn't important and marking some things off that I choose not to do. And, um, but, but then also really focusing on, you know, again, what I, what I want to be intentional about. And that is as close to regular meditation as currently doing.
0: (laughs) I think that's good because we, we all have to do what works for us. And that's the point of it all. So before we, we uh, end our, our talk here on Pride Connection, our target audience uh, is blind um, and vision impaired, LGBTQIA+, plus, and I like to say plus plus, uh, with all the alphabet soup in there. Would you have any words of wisdom for us as we kind of navigate through things as the we get uh, start getting back to almost a sense of normal any words of wisdom for us
1: You know what I I don't know that y'all need my wisdom what I would really say is you know let me know how I can be an ally in this community and I supervise a pretty large team and a pretty large state and I have to say we We do not get many intakes or requests for assistance for advocacy on behalf of blind students. They always stick out to me when they come in, and so to the degree that you ever get younger listeners or family members of school-age children, you know, let us know what you need, and I'm certainly anxious to hear it. When I have gone to um, you know national conferences um, of the blind, like the National Associations. You know, I always get asked about braille instruction because it is seen as still so essential and important. And are we helping make sure that students are taught that? And I'll say we never get um, hardly that I can request requests for assistance and advocating for things like additional braille instruction. And so if there are people out there who ever know of educational related issues that I may not be aware of or advocacy needs, especially for anyone in Texas, um, let us know. We want to, you know, we want to be in community with you.
0: Very cool. And since uh, we have listeners from all over the place, I know we work at Disability Rights Texas. Is there somewhere that people outside of Texas can go if they need disability related services?
1: Sure, especially if it's advocacy related. Uh, we're part of the federally authorized protection and advocacy network. So there is what we call a PA for protection and advocacy in every state. And some Sorry. of the names, but most of us are called disability rights and then the state name and in each state the board of directors and the advisory council <laughs> and the community of people with disabilities in that state get to direct the exact type of advocacy work that that PNA does so it may look Different everywhere, but you know, I think almost every PNA has some educational advocacy practice. And if anyone ever had trouble finding their PNA, the National Disability Rights Network uh, website has a link to every state's PNA, and and we're in all fifty states and um, and also the territories.
0: Well, thank you, Dustin. I really appreciate you taking uh, some time out of your busy, busy day. And since I didn't ask you too hard um, questions, I need you to talk to my boss and get me a
1: raise. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, we'll, we'll do our best. Well, our best well. Um, you know, usually I've been told that we work here for the passion, not the money, right? <laughs> It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for for those who tuned in.
0: I hope you really enjoyed the interview with Dustin Rinders. So, This part of the episode is one that I was excited to talk about, but at the same time a little saddened. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, my friend recently passed away. She wasn't a member of any of the blindness organizations, but she was a good person. And I wanted to take just a a small bit of time to remember who she was and to let you know a little bit about her. I couldn't fit everything that I thought was wonderful about her, even if I hosted 50 episodes. She was just that good of a person. Um Her name was Tijuana Clemens. Everyone called her TJ. Uh, she was from Houston, Texas, and uh, she was blind. Um, T.J was a person that had her hands in just about everything. When you called on TJ, she was there for you. If she couldn't do it, she was going to find someone who could help you out. Well, it's it's really hard. Um, At the time of this recording, um, her her celebration of life um, was just a couple of days ago and i guess it, it hasn't really hit and so i'm just going through those emotions of you know i'm not going to be able to talk to my friend anymore in the in the physical sense um but she's in a place whether you believe we have a soul or whether you believe in you know, energy or whatever your belief system is, even if you don't believe in anything, I do believe in good people. And I believe a lot of us tend to lean in towards being good people. But there are some people that you meet in life that, just take the cake (laughs) so to speak and when I was going through different things or going through relationship things or friendship things or just trying to learn how to be blind (laughs) type things TJ was one of those people that was always there whether she was just listen, listening to me ramble or whether she was just giving a resource or to say you need to sign up with vocational rehabilitation or you know this is how you complain on your <laughs> on your vocational rehab counselor Or just, you know, frankly being petty and us talking about about people on the phone every now and then. You know, sometimes TJ had, uh, had difficult roads ahead of her. And you could always count on her to laugh. You can always count on her to, like I said lend um listening ear or a shoulder. And um she is going to be missed by not only me, but I think the whole everybody that knew her, especially in the blindness and, and visually impaired community, she's going she's already missed. Um, Because you don't run across people like her all the time. So before I end this episode uh, of Pride Connection, I want to encourage you, whether it's family, whether it's friends, um, or somebody you haven't talked to in a while, send an email shoot a text or give a call to let people know that you're t- thinking about them. We don't know when our time will be. Hopefully we, we will all have a long time here in this existence. But the honest truth of the matter is that we don't know when our time will be or whenever we don't know when the that person's time will be so take a little time just 1 minute to let people know that you're thinking about them that you care about them and that they mean something to you 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 won't know how profound of a statement that is for people And many of us just want to know that people are thinking about us. Even if you don't get it in in return, I encourage you today, whenever you're listening to this podcast, or just whenever you think about it, just let somebody know you're thinking about them and that you care and that they mean something to you. So, I almost said... Take a little time to enjoy the view, but I think that's the wrong show. <laughs> but one thing I do want to say to you that is that I hope you enjoy this episode of Pride Connection. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you grew from it. I hope it edified you. And I hope you don't mind if I come back at some point. And always remember, no one can do everything, but if everyone did something, everything will get done. Have a good night, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye now.
1: Thank you for listening to the show. We'd like to invite you to send any comments, questions, or just join our conversation. Email us at membership at blindlgbtpride.org. That's membership at blindlgbtpride.org. And join our conversation. You have been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, go to blindlgbtpride.org. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and